Welcome to History Sleuth, a podcast exploring the involvement of history and culture in current events. My name is Adelaide, and today we are going to talk about the historical roots of a new character that appeared in the show The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and how Marvel introduces us to a new cinematic universe history that draws on the reality of American history. But before we get into that, if you're on Twitter, follow me at Sleuth History to get updates about when I post new episodes, and make sure also to follow History Sleuth on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, (laughs) let's get into today's topic. So I am currently in the middle of rewatching all the Marvel movies, starting with Captain America, the first Avenger, and I'm going in like timeline order, which is interesting. So it's different than how they're released, but mostly we went from like Captain America and then to Captain Marvel and then to Iron Man 1, which is interesting. Um, And last night I watched Thor Dark World, which came out in 2013. And 2013 simultaneously feels like a long time ago and like yesterday. <laughs> I have weird feelings about this, but I basically like grew up along with these Marvel movies. So just like watching these makes me really nostalgic for my like teenage years. It reminds me of like going to the movie theaters with my friends and just kind of like hanging around uh, <laughs> without our parents for the first time, you know, arguing about who is the best Avenger, theorizing what would happen next based on the end credit scenes and all of those little um, clues. And then with Endgame out in, in 2019 while I was in college, like that was kind of crazy um, to go out and, and see with friends in the movie theater, see with my new friends and, and stay out ridiculously late and get Whataburger and do all of those college things. And now in the in the Marvel world, we've got a couple new series on Disney Plus dealing with the seriousness and, and aftermath of all that's happened in the the 20 whatever Marvel movies that have led up to this. And so, and I've, I've graduated college now and kind of dealing with those more, more serious themes. I just, I feel like I've grown up as the series has gotten um, more intense and serious. And yeah, that's just a kind of a, <laughs> a tangent. All that to say, of course, I've, I watched WandaVision. I really enjoyed it. Didn't, I wasn't sure about it at first, honestly. Okay. This isn't like a show review, reviewing podcast, so I won't get into <laughs> all of that, but I did end up liking WandaVision, even though I wasn't sure about it at first. And I've been keeping up with the newest Marvel series on Disney plus Falcon, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, which follows two characters associated more with Captain America and all of their adventures and being the main characters now for the first time, instead of just side characters in Captain America story. So, and the reason that I'm talking about any of this at all on my podcast, on my history podcast, <laughs> because the the second episode introduced a character whose experiences reflect a very serious, horrible, and little-known aspect of American history um, that I wanted to, to teach you guys more about today and kind of explore of what this inclusion, how, how like alluding to this history changes and affects the, the story of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and um, kind of points to a, the direction that um, Marvel is going with their movies and this kind of like newest phase. I think they they um, describe them in phases. What are we in like phase four of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So uh, let's get into what happened in episode two of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you haven't been watching, I won't go into like too much detail about the episode but there might be some spoilers, so here's your spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't seen the second episode yet and you're planning on watching this series, maybe find another episode of my podcast that you want to listen to <laughs> and click off. Um, it was last week. Was it just last week? It was longer than a week ago where we talked about silly conspiracy theories about history. Um, and that was really fun. We talked about an umbrella dart man and maybe if Tesla invented a death ray. So, you know... <laughs> If you missed that, definitely check out that episode. But here we are, second episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This um, is from an article on Gamer Rant, (laughs) and the link will be in my description. 
Um, they say, in an effort to gather intel on the sudden mass reproduction of the super soldier serum that transformed Steve Rogers into Captain America, Sebastian Stan's Bucky Barnes brings Anthony Mackey's Sam Wilson to Baltimore, Maryland, where he meets Carl Lumbly's Isaiah Bradley, quote, one of the f- ones feared by Hydra the most, like Steve. Old and embittered, Isaiah explains that he met Bucky in 1951 in South Korea during the latter's involuntary tenure as the Winter Soldier and the former's brief stint as a government-appointed super soldier. True to the serum's potential, Isaiah held his own against Hydra's deadliest agent, destroying half of Bucky's iconic metal arm during the fight. Seventy years after their first encounter, the reformed assassin hopes Isaiah can shed some light on the serum's history to locate its current whereabouts. However, the forgotten hero refuses, demonstrating his retained abilities and revealing he was unjustly jailed following his highly classified super soldier career, confined and experimented on for the next three decades. A bewildered and enraged Sam confronts Bucky's secrecy. He says, quote, so you're telling me that there was a black super soldier decades ago and nobody knew about it. At first glance, Sam has a point. Both within the MCU's canon and outside of it, Isaiah's sudden existence appears to be a blatant example of retroactive continuity in which new characters or events are finagled into existing lore to imbue them with narrative importance. But Isaiah's abrupt appearance itself is a deliberate imitation of American history's worst habits. Isaiah debuted in the 2003 comic miniseries Truth, Red, White, and Black by Robert Morales and Kyle Baker. The series reveals that the U.S. government had secretly experimented on hundreds of black American soldiers in its attempt to recreate the super soldier serum. Isaiah was among the last test subjects standing, and after barely escaping certain death in Nazi Germany, he was betrayed by his country and sentenced to life in prison, similar to his MCU counterpart's conviction. Isaiah's fictional origin draws heavily on influence from the very real Tuskegee Syphilis Study, one of the most racist and unethical government operations in American history. We're talking about real things now, moving on from the comic book world. In 1932, the United States Public Health Service and Center for Disease Control and Prevention began documenting the long-term effects of untreated syphilis in approximately 600 impoverished African-American men in Macon County, Alabama. When the PHS and CDC lost funding for the study six months in, they nonetheless continued discreetly over the next 40 years until the experiment's existence was leaked to the press in 1972 and subsequently shut down. The study resulted in the deaths of 128 Black Americans, all of whom had been deceived by the United States government for decades. So as you can see here, as as, as well outlined in this article, um, we're, we're dealing with this like fictional <laughs> fictional world and character um, and his experiences that draw on real world people and their experiences. So we've got this contrast between Isaiah Bradley, this secret Captain America-like figure that we've never heard of. We've never seen him before, but he was tested on and has the same like kind of superpowers as, as Captain America does, um, a character that we were more familiar with that we've heard of a lot. He's, you know, the, the first Avenger is, that's, that's the name of the first Captain America movie, the first movie in the, the MCU timeline that I've been going through. Um, so we're, we're very familiar with Captain America, never heard of Isaiah Bradley, but the way that this plot point is going uh, where it's, it's suggested that um, Isaiah Bradley was part of the reason why Captain America can exist because the government or whoever it is in Avengers world creating this serum tested on him without his consent and imprisoned him for, for 30 years. And so I, I got chills, honestly, watching this episode. And when Sam Wilson, the, the Falcon, is talking to Bucky and says, there's been a black super soldier, a black Captain America this whole time. And we're just now hearing of him. And I, and I thought that was kind of a moment that like took me out of the the show in a good way, in a good way, because I was like, 
yeah, like in the plot and however many movies it's been, we're just now hearing about this character um, when we could have been learning about him and, and having him as part of the Avengers this whole time. But also like when it comes to just the existence of these movies and the Avengers that um, were chosen to, to make movies on have all, for the most part, um, been white men for a while. For <laughs> There's a long series of movies as I'm going through them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am uh, only at the second Thor movie. And it's interesting to see these similarities going through and, and seeing how it's just more noticeable that that all of the Avengers are, for the most part, white men. And until we get like Captain Marvel thrown in there, Black Panther thrown in there. And so it does seem like it's it's we're kind of like retconning <laughs> Marvel by by tossing in these characters, but also because it, it still works, though. We can add in Isaiah Bradley into the, the plot now, this mega plot of the Avengers. We can add in Isaiah Bradley because this this reflects American history. Like, this is what happens in real life is there are figures in Black history or just people of color who have uh, suffered from different oppression or done amazing things and we never hear about them until later. And so it feels like we have to go back and um, revise things in our, in our history books and go back and rewrite how we understand different topics or bring light to things that weren't brought um, to light before, because our country is is dealing with this amount of racism, and so it's it's just interesting how it it seems like if it wasn't so similar to how American history often works, it would seem kind of like a weak writing on on Marvel's part to just like toss an Isaiah Bradley and been like, oh yeah, he's been here the whole time. We've just never told you about him until right now. But that's <laughs> happens all the time in history. That's so interesting to me. I don't know if I've explained well why that's so interesting maybe i've talked too much on this i'm not really sure so maybe we'll just continue to wrestle with this throughout this episode but i just think it's so interesting how that works from like a writing perspective like writing the story and, and crafting this plot but also how it reflects american history and and adds this kind of like this like power almost to isaiah's story like he comes in as a character he wasn't in episode three that came out last friday but hopefully he'll be back later in the series or in other movies but he can just kind of pop in this late in the game because it makes sense it makes sense it's so interesting okay so finishing off this article they say at the heart of the falcon and the winter soldier of the show lies a fundamental question what does it mean to be captain america for years audiences were so enthralled with steve rogers personal journey and that weight that the weight and baggage of his mantle weren't truly felt or considered now that steve stepped down and and Sam's turned down the torch. The title has taken on a life of its own with objectionable ownership. Wyatt Russell's John Walker is given the title outside of Sam's jurisdiction and a set of super soldier skeletons in its closet. Isaiah's arrival to the MCU also confronts the crucial racial context inherent to Sam Wilson's internal struggle. Isaiah's past depicts a much different story from the first Avengers. Instead of being celebrated as a hero like Steve, Isaiah was stripped of his freedom and treated as a guinea pig for decades. A black man succeeding a white man as the USA's superpowered mascot carries an unavoidable carries unavoidable political undertones, and Isaiah is living proof that Sam's country may not yet be ready for a black Captain America, even apart from his personal doubts about taking the title. With a few episodes remaining in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the jury is still out on Isaiah Bradley's immediate importance to Sam and Bucky's ongoing search for the super soldier serum, but his appearance in the show alone speaks volume of his of its ambition. It would be easy and cowardly for the show to treat the Captain America title strictly on its mo most basic terms as Steve Rogers' former occupation. Instead, the show demonstrates the mantle's might by steering headfirst into the violent and oppressive relationship between America and its black citizens, reinforcing Sam's character arc and the show's central dramatic question. Hopefully, Isaiah Bradley's time in the MCU has only just begun. 
Um, so I think that was a, a really good article kind of like explaining that and breaking that concept down and, and those questions that we have. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the show progresses or how Isaiah Bradley's involvement in the MCU progresses. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I found a, another article from IGN that I just wanted to read a couple bits of. It addresses basically the, the same thing and explains the same thing. Um, but I also wanted to say before reading parts of this article is that they use the word um, dark pretty often. I don't know how many times they do. I didn't go through and count, <laughs> but I wasn't going to be that petty. Um, but I've been corrected before using the word dark in the sense of like somber or like sad or serious or a little bit more like intense or heavy. Using the word dark in, in replace of any of those other words is not, it's not it, <laughs> not the way to go necessarily. We we need to be cognizant of the fact that we've inherited a language and a history that struggles with racism and that even if currently we're not trying to use the word dark, we're not trying to be racist by using the word dark to describe things that are bad. When we can use words other than dark to describe things that are bad or serious or heavy or whatever, um, we should because that like association of blackness with badness is this like inherited racism in our language that we have. And so that's kind of a critique I have of this article is that they're trying to address, especially especially an article trying to address the themes of America's racial history in this pop culture show um, for them to use the word dark over and over again, um, in my opinion, is just poor writing. So <laughs> um, I'm going to read this, but I just wanted to kind of put that out there as well. This IGN article says the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is quick quickly shaping up to be one of the darker MCU projects to date. As the dust of Avengers Endgame settles, the world needs Captain America more than ever. But as Sam Wilson discovers in episode two, the same government that created Captain America has some skeletons in its closet, and one of them is named Isaiah Bradley. Who is Isaiah, and how does that his MCU debut foretell dark days ahead for the friends and admirers of Steve Rogers? Let's explore what we know and why the series is revealing the dark truth behind the myth that is Captain America. So um, next, this article talks about the comic book series that, um, yeah, that Isaiah Bradley was in called Truth, Red, White, and Black. It says, the series reveals that Steve Rogers was far from the only soldier the government attempted to transform into a superhero, superhuman propaganda tool. Because the formula for the super soldier serum is lost when Dr. Abraham Erskine is killed by a German spy, the scientists of Project Rebirth have no choice but to attempt to recreate it through trial and error. They do so by experimenting on hundreds of African-American soldiers, men seen as expendable tools for this cause. The series draws heavily on the real-world Tuskegee syphilis study, an infamous program wherein researchers studied the long-term effects of untreated syphilis in hundreds of African-American men without their full knowledge or consent. Similarly, the comic series shows hundreds of soldiers being subjected to experimental serums without fully understanding what they've been recruited for or the significant risks involved. Isaiah is one of only five test subjects to survive this process. The remaining untreated soldiers and researchers are executed, ensuring only a handful know the origin of these new super soldiers. And after his comrades are killed in the line of duty, Isaiah becomes the only survivor and the only living proof of this twisted attempt to create a new Captain America. Episode 2 also introduces us to Isaiah's grandson, Eli, played by Elijah Richardson, a character who may well be destined for big things in the MCU. In the comics, Eli is a founding member of the Young Avengers, who takes up the mantle of Patriot and wields the same triangular shield once carried by his grandfather. We expect to see some version of this origin story play out in the MCU, though perhaps in a future project after the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But one thing is clear already. Eli shares his grandfather's rage and resentment over the toll Captain America has taken on their family, and for good reason. 
The Isaiah Bradley character is intended as commentary on America's bloody, racially charged history and the way the higher ideals of the country often mask the brutal reality faced by people of color. The Ultimate Universe, um, Nick Fury and Black Panther, both share a lot in common with Isaiah Bradley, as they too are black men subjected to, to torture and experimentation in the name of superhuman science. While that plot point hasn't carried over to the MCU, the general idea that ordinary soldiers, particularly people of color, are mere pawns in an amoral system designed to build bigger and better weapons definitely has. You don't get a hero like Captain America without leaving a long trail of death and misery behind him. And with Steve gone, it falls on Bucky and Sam to come to terms with that toll. Yeah, so I think that is is really interesting. Kind of, uh, I love how the writers of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and just in the the Marvel Universe in general have um, taken this <laughs> Captain America, this character. Honestly, Captain America was my favorite Avenger until Tom Holland became Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but Captain America was my, my favorite Avenger for a long time. He's still one of my favorites. And I think it's so fitting for this, like, I mean, he's pretty much like a perfect hero, right? <laughs> There's, he's not a super flawed character. He always makes a good choice. He's kind to other people. He's like a good person versus, you know, like Iron Man, who's <laughs> objectively... Okay, I have maybe too many opinions. Um, But <laughs> we have this this good character of, of Captain America, and, and behind him we've got this history and choices made by my other people that, that made it possible for Captain America to be as powerful and to be an Avenger in the first place. Um, we've got this whole other history, all of these other people, all of these other victims, and not necessarily, it's not necessarily Captain America, the character's fault that Isaiah Bradley was was treated in this way, but Captain America definitely benefited from the mistreatment of Isaiah Bradley and, and other people of color in this Marvel universe. And I think that's so interesting how that can so easily work as a, a way to better understand American history and say that as white people, we benefit from ways that people of color were treated unjustly and oppressively, even though we most likely people listening to this podcast, we ourselves did not do um, some of those things, all of those things, but we still benefit from from the mistreatment um, and oppression of, of other people. And so um, I think that is just like a, a helpful stepping stone into kind of like under, honestly understanding white privilege better and kind of like what what is America? <laughs> Why do we have these issues, these issues with racism in our country and what kinds of effects do they have? Um, so I'll get into more of those questions in a second, but I wanted to read some of this article from history.com about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment study thingy. Oh yes, the Tuskegee experiment, the infamous syphilis study. I mixed that all together, but that's the title of the, the history article. And there is a lot here. So I'm going to uh, it looks like we have time. <laughs> I'll read most of it, but I will also link this in my description so that you can read it yourself or look more into this topic. Um, definitely good to be educated on on hard things like this, even though this is this is a hard topic, but it's not something that people are often taught on. I've been in a couple college classes where people had never heard of this before, like history classes <laughs> for history majors, and people had never heard of this before. Um, and so it is an important thing to be knowledgeable of, even though this is a tough topic. So now we're moving completely away from Avengers and plot and fiction and people that aren't real. And we're going to talk about something that did actually happen, um, done by real people outside of a comic book. So yeah, uh, the Tuskegee experiment began in 1932 at a time when there was no known treatment for syphilis. After being recruited by the promise of free medical care, 600 African-American men in Macon County, Alabama, were enrolled in the project, which aimed to study the full progression of the disease. 
The participants were primarily sharecroppers, and many had never before visited a doctor. Doctors from the U.S. Public Health Service, PHS, which was running the study, informed the participants, 399 men with latent syphilis and a control group of 201 others who were free of the disease, that they were being treated for bad blood, a term commonly used in the area at the time to refer to a variety of ailments. The men were monitored by health workers, but only given placebos such as aspirin and mineral supplements, despite the fact that penicillin became the recommended treatment for syphilis in 1947, some 15 years into the study. PHS researchers convinced local physicians in Macon County not to treat the participants, and instead research was done at the Tuskegee Institute, now called Tuskegee University. The school was founded in 1881 with Booker T. Washington as its first teacher. In order to track the disease's full progression, researchers provided no effective care, as the men died, went blind or insane, or experimented, experienced other severe health problems due to their untreated syphilis. In the mid-1960s, a PHS venereal disease investigator in San Francisco named Peter Buxton found out about the Tuskegee study and expressed his concerns to his superiors that it was unethical. In response, the PHS officials formed a committee to review the study but ultimately opted to continue it with the goal of tracking the participants until all had died, autopsies were performed, and the project data could be analyzed. Buxton then leaked the story to a reporter friend who passed it on to a fellow reporter, Gene Heller of the Associated Press. Heller broke the story in July 1972, prompting public outrage and forcing the study to finally shut down. By that time, 28 participants had perished from syphilis, 100 more had passed away from related complications, at least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with it, and the disease had been passed to 19 children at birth. In 1973, Congress had held hearings on the Tuskegee experiments, and the following year, the study's surviving participants, along with the heirs of those who died, received a $10 million out-of-court settlement. Additionally, new guidelines were issued to protect human subjects and the U.S. government-funded research projects. As a result of the Tuskegee experiment, many African Americans developed a lingering deep mistrust of, health pub of public health officials and vaccines. In part to foster racial healing, President Bill Clinton issued a 1997 apology stating the United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. It is not only in remembering that shameful past that we can make amends and repair our nation, but it is in remembering the past that we can build a better present and a better future. During his apology, Clinton announced plans for the establishment of Tuskegee's University National Center for Bioethics and Research and Healthcare. The final study participant passed away in 2004. Tuskegee, <laughs> listen to this part, Tuskegee wasn't the first unethical syphilis study. In 2010, then-President Barack Obama and other federal officials apologized for another <laughs> U.S.-sponsored experiment conducted decades earlier in Guatemala. In that study, from 1946 to 1948, nearly 700 men and women, prisoners, soldiers, mental patients, were intentionally infected with syphilis. Hundreds more people were exposed to other sexually transmitted diseases as part of the study without their knowledge or consent. The purpose of the study was to determine whether penicillin could prevent not just cure syphilis infection. Some of those who became infected never received medical treatment. The results of the study, which took place with the cooperation of the Guatemalan government officials, were never published. The American public health researcher in charge of the project, Dr. John Cutler, went on to become a lead researcher in the Tuskegee experiments. Following Cutler's death in 2003, historian Susan Reverby uncovered the records of the Guatemala experiments while doing research related to the Tuskegee study. She shared her findings with the U.S. government officials in 2010. Soon afterward, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Secretary of Health and Human Services Kathleen Sebelis issued an apology for the STD study, and President Obama called the Guatemalan president to apologize for their experiments. I actually didn't know about the Guatemala experience until I was uh, experiments while I was research until I was researching for this episode, and so I don't know that that's something 
I mean, maybe maybe you already know about that. Maybe I'm late to the game, but I feel like that's not something that's widely known. As well as like the Tuskegee experiment in America is definitely one that's not that's not widely known. But I think I think people are starting to learn about it more or talk about it more. Yeah. So those things are horrible. Those are objectively horrible. And I think it's really important that you know the writers of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier are using this this fiction pop culture thing that that lots of people will see and watch and enjoy um, to draw attention to to serious things in in American history and kind of make us aware of of serious things that have happened and yeah I think that's really valuable because then we can take efforts to right these wrongs to seek reconciliation justice and healing and prevent these sorts of things from from happening again you know we can seek ways to stop these kinds of things before before they even happen? Um, are there situations where there are some people who are treated or thought of as less than human and and disposable, basically, <laughs> um, lab rats in a sense? Like, are there people like that today, um, people who we treat like that today? Um, and, and how can we uh, reassert their humanity and their 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 dignity, their human rights, um, and, and prevent people from taking that from them in an effort to I don't know, find a cure for syphilis or or other things. I'm reminded just kind of in this moment, I think there was an article that came out, oh, it was a while ago. And and it didn't become as, as big of a deal as it should have been. But I think there was an article about uh, forced hysterectomies at the border, that there were women coming across the, the border from the border between Mexico and the United States and uh, were receiving forced hysterectomies without their their knowledge or consent. Um, I'll look that up and see if I can find an article I can put in in the description because that's kind of all I know off the top of my head. But isn't that kind of similar in a sense? Obviously, syphilis has a lot of other effects that are um, really terrible. But just these medical procedures without people's consent, like why are we treating people? Why are we only treating some people as they are less than human or not as important, not as valuable as other people? I think that's I think that's awful. So I'm I'm really glad that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is kind of using its platform, not in a super overt, a super pushy way, <laughs> but just kind of as as a, a tying in these themes and helping people wrestle with these hard things by putting it in a, in a fictional world. I think it's easier um, sometimes to wrestle with these hard topics and these, these hard things about our history when we can do it with fictional characters <laughs> in the first place, where there's kind of like no consequences. We can we can have an interesting conversation about Captain America and Isaiah Bradley and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, and it's just kind of fun at the end of the day, like none of those things are real. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but if we can kind of take those things in and then use this language that we've, we benefit from this pop culture language, we've created to say American history is like the relationship between Captain America and Isaiah Bradley, how they relate to one another is how people in American history relate to one another. I think that's super valuable and can help um, people understand some of the tension and hard things in our history today. So I listed a bunch of questions here at the end of my notes, but I think I've already kind of gone over a lot of those things just in my <laughs> my side comments and and whatnot. So I think, I think I'm just going to leave it there. I think we could have a longer discussion about mixing history and fiction together or including his history and pop culture, how that's done well, done badly. So maybe that's something we can talk more about in the future. Um, if there are other historical elements 
elements in other um, Marvel movies that you think I should talk about, definitely let me know. If you want, you have opinions about (laughs) this, also let me know. You can find me on Twitter pretty much mostly. And I wish there was a way that you could like comment on like Spotify or Apple, but I guess you can leave a review. (laughs) Other things I would love to interact more with people and um, see what you guys are thinking. Because my opinion isn't the end all be all. (laughs) At the end of the day, it's just an opinion. So that is all I've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for sleuthing with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will catch you guys on Tuesday. Don't forget to follow History Sleuth wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss that. And rate and review whenever you can. I hope you have a great day. Bye.